Hey everyone, this week's member show is a freebie. Just head on over to patreon.com slash echoplex or click the link in the show notes. With our upcoming move, we could really use some support too. So while you're there, consider becoming a member at any level, even just a dollar. Thanks. When they actually spend their time listening to this show, what does it mean? It means we're winning. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee Just like my straight white male dad did to me So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do this show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Media. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure you're following us on Twitch. Also, make sure you're following us on your podcast app of choice. Uh, check out our other shows. Uh, you can just type Echoplex Media into your podcast app. You should be able to find all of them. And you can give us money at echoplexmedia.com. Click the support tab. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. We are uh, doing a big studio upgrade august 1st and um if you could support us in any way in that endeavor we would very much appreciate it um i'm producer dave you can find me on grinder hk is on adventures should be back soon though maybe next week maybe the week after i don't know i think they called him in for jury duty so he could be there a while so you're stuck with me if you generally watch the show or listen to the show for hk well then i guess you're screwed anyway we're gonna go ahead and well there's two people that I don't like, and we're going to do a video with both of them. There's this one uh, from Trigonometry. His name is Constantine. Don't like him. And he's going to be talking with uh, Brett Weinstein. Don't like him. So we're going to watch their discussion. <clears throat> and I would like, by the way, this Constantine guy and his host uh, that we've called non-Oliver in the chat, uh, they keep claiming they're going to be that they were working comedians in London. Um, I looked around and couldn't really find any evidence that that was the case. So... If anybody could uh, find some evidence that they were actually working comedians in London, that'd be great because I kind of don't 
believe them, I guess. Anyway, here we go. This is staving off extinction. They're going to stave off extinction with a podcast, everybody. I liked when Joe Rogan came out and he said, look, I'm going to stop talking to politicians because I don't want to be a player in this field. And when it comes to this stuff that we're talking about, I don't want to be a player in that. So if the government is coming and taking your rights away and saying, if you don't take the vaccine, we're going to fire you from the job, I'm going to stand up and say that's wrong. Well, right. If the government is forcing you to wear an appy on your face that doesn't work, right? Yeah, you're going to stand up. I'm going to stand up and say that's wrong. If the government is forcing you to live in a quarantine facility when you have a disease that is akin to flu, I'm going to stand up and say- What the fuck? All of this other stuff, it becomes a little bit above my pay grade is my point. And that's why I think, uh, you know, you talked earlier about sort of like, well, this is a problem you, you, you don't feel capable of solving, so you solve the ones that you can. Actually, I do think that's a recipe for, for a sane person, in my opinion. There are many, many things I could worry about in the world on which I have absolutely no impact uh, and on which my interfer- interference will probably make things worse rather than better. Oh, look at these books. We got the madness of crowds. I don't know what this one, but this one called Europe is probably a problem. See, like over our, it'd be our left hit, be his right shoulder, our left. Madness of Crowds is by Doug Murray. That's a, Doug Murray is a white supremacist, a posh white supremacist, but a white supremacist nonetheless. And then this book called the Europe, I'm guessing that's also some white supremacist shit. Focusing my energy on that. My energy is limited. I'm going to focus on fighting for the things that I do understand, that I do think are important, and that I can make a difference on. And that's what I've been doing. So this is not me rejecting what you're saying. This is not me taking a position either way on ivermectin or, or vaccines or anything like that. All I'm saying is, I think the time for people like me interfering in things like public health policy is at an end. Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast. I have the great pleasure today of sitting in person with Constantine Kissen. I am sitting, of course, on his set, the set of Trigonometry, also known affectionately as TriggerPod. Welcome, Constantine. Thanks for affectionately. Much. They know it affectionately as TriggerPod. It is great to sit down in person. Last time I saw you was pre-COVID. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, so it's been some time, and the world is a new place. Yes. Uh, since last we spoke in person. Thank you for the loan of this set. I will say I'm concerned about one thing, which is that. Um, because all of the visuals here are uh, your visuals, I'm triggered to just let you ask questions and I'll respond <laughs> to them, which that's not going to work, is it? Well, it's a pity because we would have loved to have had you back on the show and in person, but uh, Francis, so as people may know, I've been on paternity leave and Francis uh, has been on holiday, a uh, very much needed one for the last couple of weeks. Francis is the one that y'all call non-Oliver. I'm not able to interview because she's still abroad. Uh, but I, I'm really pleased that we get a chance to chat anyway. Yeah, me too. And um, I don't know how much it will be a focus of our discussion, but it, it, the new baby is certainly the most important fact in the room here at the moment. And congratulations. Thanks. Why? You barely even know this guy, Brett. Why the fuck you care that much about his baby? Uh, and you and I were talking earlier before we started, and I was kind of you know, not complaining, but sort of saying like the baby's at the stage where he's, you know, just, he does a lot of poops and he does a lot of sucking on my wife's breasts. And that's about it really at this point. Uh, so, but I, I'm really enjoying it anyway. 
but it's, who, who married this guy where they have a personality yet so i'm really looking forward to getting to that point where he's like real creepy the, the person like. so at the point that you have stopped producing new children you kind of forget some of what goes on am i right that your child is still in the stage where they remain where you leave them Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's only about 12 days old. So, oh, so yeah. you can't even roll over. No, no. Roll over maybe is about no, 12. No, no, no. no still no, not. No, no. Still not. Yeah. Pooing, eating, uh, screaming if those two things are in the wrong setting, and that's about it. You know, if you're going to count on your fingers the things that the child does, you're going to find a phase come where you're going <laughs> to run out of digits yeah. and uh, you're going to have to count some other way. But um, anyway, it is, um, I, I would just say it is transformative when you have a child because it rearranges the whole logic of life. I can't even figure out exactly what words to say, except that this is um, the way in which the human purpose unfolds. And we, many people don't have children and they have found new purposes and all of that's marvelous. But at the point that you return to this um, sacred role of passing on what you are to this new human in this very special way that humans do it. And I hope Brett's kids, I hope Brett's kids have like a sense of, they have a bit of an independent streak about right? life. And I do hear what you're saying. I went through the same thing where at first, you know, babies are, you know, a really important fact and you feel the emotional bond that you feel, but it's like, well, you know, I, I can't really father the child very well at this point because, you know, uh, they're, they're just not capable of taking on the kinds of lessons that I'm equipped to teach. Um, I'm too smart for my baby, Brett Weinstein, circa 2022. Oh, my God. Or maybe he's like, you're too smart for your baby, Brett Weinstein, circa 2022. Get the fuck out of here. You'll be there so soon. Oh, man, I'm loving the whole process as it is. I'm just, I was just observing that uh, it's... It's there's a kind of transitional phase, but in terms of the point that you, you make about it changing who you are and how you, you view the world and how you behave, I noticed it literally the day that I found out my wife was pregnant. I was driving into London here uh, to the studio, and uh, a guy cut me up and sort of blocked me off on the road, and he was completely in the wrong by the rules of the road. And normally in that situation, I'm not going to lie, I I am a I. If people are going to behave like a dick, I am going to make it uncomfortable for them to continue to behave that way. You oh, you're not probably in a position to really do that very often, Constantine. So I would normally take extra time to, you know, I wouldn't be screaming and shouting. I'd take extra time to get out of his way. Make oh, sure passive aggressive. Go, okay, that makes sense. Give him an extra smile. You would make sure there was no profit in his behavior Correct. so that the behavior would shut itself down. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for, for giving an evolutionary spin to me being a dick. Yeah, um, that was an evolutionary spin. That's what I would normally do. And Brett sees everything through an evolutionary lens. My wife was pregnant. I had absolutely no, it's not that I decided to be a different person. I just noticed that I had absolutely no emotional reaction and I just let this guy get on with it as quickly as he could. Didn't make it any more difficult. And I just think um, there is something that definitely happened with me, which in terms of how I conceive of myself in, in the society that I exist in, in terms of my status and, and relation to other people. This is two fucking hours. In the world instantly changed uh, about about that time when I realized there's a person who's now counting on me in a way that even my wife wasn't counting. My wife will be fine, <laughs> me, uh, I would hope, but a little baby won't. And I think that 
that switch of being responsible for another human being who's helpless without you. Uh, it changed the way I think and behave about myself. And I'm sure there's quite a lot that you could probably talk to me about in terms of the evolutionary function of preserving yourself versus being a young male and risk-taking and, and all of that. Well, I remember uh, a similar shocking transition. It wasn't on discovering that Heather was pregnant. It was, I believe, the night before she gave birth to my first child, Zach. And I remember, I think this must have been triggered by a dream, which I don't remember, but I remember feeling my brain rewire around the concept that the right thing to do would involve, you know, running into the burning building to save this person were it necessary. Right. I remember that transition. And how do you feel like this kind of stuff? I just don't believe it. And I think a lot of people like say that these kind of things happen to them in this way. I don't, unless like my mind is just missing something that other people's minds are missing. How do you feel your mind like rewiring or whatever the fuck he's talking about? Like, does it feel like a headache? Does it feel like a hangover? Does it feel like you bumped your head on something? Like what is, I don't, I don't know. Like people talk about these sort of like transformational experiences all the time where they feel their sort of their, their, their mind switch gears. A lot of, a lot of times in spirituality kind of settings or like spiritual gurus will say it. And I don't know what, what he's talking about. Happened close enough to consciousness that I would, you know, I wouldn't be of two minds about it. Right. Now, here's the really uncomfortable part, though. The logic changes at the point that you have a second child, mm. right? Because one does not want to take the tiniest chance, right, of saving an, a jeopardized child if it is going to strand another child. So the, there's an equation that, that has to be built. Up. Oh, my God. What the fuck? This is so stupid. So now my brain rewired itself in this other way because I had a second child and I realized I'm responsible for two children. And if I run, if I zig and then I should, it should have zagged. I'm going to get, come on, man. This is so weird. Remember that transition from, this is now a very simple thing. Even a very small chance of saving this person is worth trading your life over, right? To, well, you have to figure out the costs and benefits, which, you know, frankly, I wish I didn't have that piece of information. It's uncomfortable to know that that calculation is taking place, but I did feel it. And, you know, yeah, it sure does line up with the evolutionary logic. Mm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, it's uh, but like, wait a minute. Evolution isn't like a process that happens in your conscious mind. I'm like, there, this is just bullshit. This has to be bullshit. Like, yeah, okay, like animals, mammals that care for their young or whatever. Yeah, we're evolved to care for our young. But like the thing he's talking about was all like in his mind. He like ran through like imaginary scenarios or something in his mind, or he sort of was using, dare I say, his intellect to like think about things in a certain way. And I don't know if that's. I think that's just thinking about things. I don't think that's really an evolutionary thing. Uh, it sounds so cheesy and in modern society, you're not supposed to say it, but I, 
it, it is a revolutionary experience. It changes your view of things entirely. It does. Now, I, I will give you some advice that you definitely didn't ask for. Please. There is, I believe, no way to properly raise a child in this era. That ship has sailed. The era is so screwed up and the, um, the hazards are so many and they're growing at such a rate that um, if I were you. Oh, what a pal, Brett. Brett's like, oh, you, you seem excited that you're having a kid. Well, let me tell you, society is fucked up and you're going to fail. <laughs> I would just, you know. The cheery message every father needs to hear. Well, but here's the thing. You need to know it because um, until you, I mean, maybe this is different for you. Maybe you've seen enough parenting, but in our case, Heather and I hadn't seen any real parenting either. We had seen the parenting that was done for us, but we hadn't been around a lot of parents at the point we had kids. And um, so we learned a lot of lessons uh, just by trial and error and talking it out. Um, but one has the sense, right? We know that bad parenting messes kids up, right? And so there's- a, It doesn't, you know, it depends on what you mean by bad parenting. Are you- imperfect because you're a human being and you make mistakes sometimes because you're a human being and sometimes those mistakes have some impact on your kids that's a different scenario that probably doesn't screw anybody up if that's screwed everybody up wait a minute we're all screwed up okay this all, okay never mind it all makes sense parenting you'll be very concerned that you don't want to do that right but what what is harder to understand is how resilient the child is to bad parenting. So the point is you'll make plenty of errors and the child is seeking um, signal in noise. So if your parenting is basically good, then the child will get the result of good parenting as a result of, you know, they'll throw out the outlying bad parenting stuff that you do and they'll get the, the good message. The problem do you think is the kids really considering like on a fucking week to week or month to month basis, whether or not you're being a good parent. I think you look back like in, I think you look back as an adult and you realize whether or not you had good parenting or good family structure around you when you were younger. I don't think that like as a kid, you're really thinking too terribly much about that. Or maybe that's just, maybe there's some privilege there because I had good parents and a good family structure around me. And maybe there's a bit more, maybe kids who don't, maybe they do think about it more and I should uh, maybe consider that a little bit. Changing so rapidly and so many of the things that you're interfacing with, it's hard to, to know whether the novelty of them is a hazard or not, mm -hmm. that um, I don't think it's really possible to deliver your kid a program that will make them, you know, a happy, healthy, well-adjusted adult because well-adjusted to what exactly? To a world in chaos? Yeah. But like, what, what, what do you mean? Yeah, you have a world of chaos. Yeah, the world's been chaotic like the whole time. The universe is chaos for all intents and purposes. The universe is trying to kill you. It's just that this planet has provided you some protections from the universe. So yeah, like literally the universe is trying to kill you. And if you're trying to stay alive, that's chaos. So yeah, you can parent well and equip someone well for a chaotic environment. People grew up in the troubles in Ireland and came out fine people grew up during other civil wars that maybe we didn't learn that much about or not civil wars but civil unrest that we didn't learn that much about because you know we learn about the uk and europe at least we do here in america because 
white supremacy. But yet people have grown up in all kinds of environments and come out just fine. Sure. I think that's probably always has been true to a large extent. I mean, there would have been periods of time when it would have been easier to prepare a child for the future because the future was unlikely to change uh, as much as, as it's changed. When was the time when the future was unlikely? First of all, the future can't change. It hasn't happened yet. The future is change. But like how, what do you mean the future isn't going to change? That's an, that's stupid. There have been other periods in human history. I think where technological change has caused the sort of rapid transformation of society that we're seeing now. Um, and I, I also, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, determined that I, I, I am the perfect parent. I know that's not possible. I am quite keen to be a better parent than my parents were to me or than my wife's parents were to her. And I sort of think like that's, that's a likely outcome. Uh, to be honest, you know, I love my parents and they did their best. But when I was born, my mom was, she'd been 18 for four days. My dad was 20 and they didn't know what the hell they were doing. Um, so if I can, and, and I've turned out in my head, all right. So if I can be better than that, I think my kids will be okay. Uh, and also I just think, you know, I, I, I maybe quibble with the idea that it was ever possible to prepare your, your children for the future. And maybe this is part of my background. You know, I grew up in, uh, late Soviet Union uh, as a kid. And then I saw that world collapse and almost everybody in that society, 99% of the people in that society were completely maladapted to the society that formed overnight. Uh, and so to me, the idea that it's actually possible to genuinely prepare your kids fully for the future, I think it's probably more about instilling a, sort of set of values and a set of principles. And then they holy shit compared to the psycho babble that Brit's spewing out. Constantine sounds like somewhat reasonable here, right? Constantine's like, well, how do we, you know, you, you can't ever prepare and I can't prepare myself for the future. I don't know what's going to happen in five years. The talents and the ingenuity to fend for themselves in a way. So I think it's more about, you know, there's a certain set of red lines that we don't cross. And there's a certain set of things that we do do in every circumstance, which is, you know, we speak the truth when we can, it's et cetera, et cetera, right? All of those things. Um, and then you just leave them to it. I think I, I don't, I don't know that you're get, you're going to get them to, to be well adjusted to any world because the world's constantly changing. Well, but the problem is that's actually new, right? And I, I take your point. The world constantly changing is not new. This is, this is no, the rate of change so as we get older, we probably believe the rate of change of the world is speeding up or whatever, and that the world's so much different than we were young. But I bet everybody believes that is, especially like Brett's probably in his fifties. I bet everybody believes that as they get into their fifties, but like they probably believe that people in the, in their fifties in the 1980s believe that people who were 55 in 1962 believed that. The printing press. I mean, that transformed society. I, I, I'm still uncertain about it. <laughs> uh, but look, uh, first of all, centuries of violent revolutions around the world. Well, but here's here's the the thing that I think is is missing from this. Recent human history has had many of these violent upheavals, and I agree. Every single one of those takes people who were adapted to something and throws them into some world they don't know. Okay. Humans are adapted to that. And in fact, I would argue that the 
what we understand about PTSD tells us that human beings are uh, adapted to make exactly one violent transition in a lifetime. Right. Wait, why do you know? Wait, what do you mean? Why, why, how, how do we know that? From war is when they have their problem, mm. right? You can go from walking around a normal, stable civilization to being in a jungle and not knowing whether you're going to step into a booby trap or somebody, a sniper is going to pick you off. You can adapt to that reality, but it's very hard to turn off the part of your mind that learned that you could be in such a circumstance. Right. And so then from then on, every supermarket is like, where are the booby traps and who might, you know, who's going to shoot at me? Wait, what? So I do think we're built for violent transitions, but one of them, what we are not built for is um, a treadmill where we are constantly facing they're not quite as violent, but we are con. I mean, yeah, you're just talking about getting ratioed on Twitter now. About the difference between this world and the world pre COVID and the world pre Facebook, right? We keep going through these violent transitions. And what's more, it's like a treadmill on which some diabolical force is turning up the speed of it, right? The rate at which these violent transitions are coming at us is going up. And so I don't think there's any way to be. Well, we can be well adjusted to change. We can't be well adjusted to accelerating change with this much at stake. Um, but your basic point, I think, is true. You're selling human beings really short, Brett. Yeah, we can. The, the, like the reason that human beings, to the extent that we've thrived, has been because we adapt to change. And more importantly... We're the ones creating the environmental change that he's saying are the problem. He's basically saying like the internet and all these things. Well, we're creating these things. We got so good at adapting to change that we started adapting the world around us. Uh, some, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. This guy, this is an evolutionary biologist. that world and you know that your child will then you fall back to something else and i actually um we don't know each other all that well but i've certainly watched a lot of your podcast i have a pretty good sense of who you are and i'm very confident in your capacity to do this because you are highly conscious and very decent right your values are good but it's the highly conscious thing consciousness is the tool that we have for dealing with novelty and you've got it in spades so you know yeah your kid's gonna face some stuff but um having having a parent who has modeled that way of approaching it is about the best thing that they could have well i appreciate that thank you i you know I am troubled by some of the, as you well know, I mean, this wouldn't exist if I wasn't troubled by many of the things that you know, I, you're troubled by the fact that you didn't, you were never a working comic. You tried, tried and tried and tried to be like a working comic and you were never a working comic and that's it. Happening in the modern world. But I also, I think I, I, I've written a book called an immigrant's love letter to the West. And I talk about this stuff a lot in the book. I, I go to Russia, I go to Ukraine, I speak to my grandmother in Ukraine, she's alive today, 96 or maybe pushing 97 years old now. You go talk to her, you know, she's perfectly compassmentous. And she lived through the Holodomor, the gulags, exile, Nazi occupation, and on and on, the, the late Soviet Union, the transition from Soviet communism to modern 
society the way it is now, the, the rapid advancement of technology. This is in one lifetime. And is my kid going to face as many problems as that? I hope not. And I don't know that they will, frankly, you know, uh, living through uh, several, like several events that have killed millions of people in your country, uh, a foreign invasion with genocidal maniac who's doing that. Those are things that um, may happen again, uh, but they may not. Uh, so I think we get a little... I know the change of the, the, the pace of change feels very, very difficult at the moment. Uh, and I, and I think the direction of travel has not been good. But I also think that we ought not to get carried away because uh, I look at, look at comedy, for example. I don't do stand up comedy anymore, but this was how uh, this guy never really did stand up comedy, uh, at least not in any sort of meaningful way. He was not part of the London stand up comedy scene. In the comedy world, it went from, you know, my heroes growing up are people like George Carlin and Bill Hicks, and they were pushing back lefties, pushing back against the religion of their day, which was religion, right? And that's why they made fun of Christians and all of that. We have a new religion now, and a few of us early on started to push back against that religion, and we got the same lumps. We had to take the same lumps that comedians before us had. And now I start to see the mainstream of the comedy world very slowly, but pivoting back towards realizing that if you want to be on the edge, if you want to be exciting, then you actually are going to have to start addressing this new uh, cultishness that we've developed. So the pendulum will always swing. I am troubled by the direction that it's been going. I'm also very optimistic, and maybe this is just fatherhood speaking through me and I have to be optimistic for the future now, I don't know. But I am I am less concerned than I've been in the last five or six years now than I have been ever, personally. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that because although I vehemently disagree <laughs> with you, I, uh, I think it's a very important data point. In other words, if I'm trying to calibrate my own model, how confident am I in what I'm seeing? I know that you see things from a different perspective. I know you have a toolkit that was built under very different circumstances. And it's great to hear that you're optimistic. I, I hope you're right. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I had a lovely conversation with Neil Oliver a couple of days ago, and he said something that upgraded my model quite a bit, right? I was talking to him about the trajectory that I see, which is frankly quite alarming and dark. And he told me that he thought that it had been so long since the major tragedies of history, the events you refer to in which millions died in particular places. And he said that he thought that because the current generation of tyrants um, is too far removed from that to have experienced it directly, that they've lost the ability to engage in that level of wet work. And I must say, I found something compelling about his formulation. Now, I don't, it doesn't bring me all the way to a hopeful state because I think, well, because that's you know, crazy. I know it's not going to goose step, right? Just because somebody didn't see the room, like um, just because someone didn't see a tyrant cause a mass casualty event doesn't mean that they're not capable of becoming a tyrant who causes a mass, ca mass casualty event. What on earth? When it does arrive because it's learned the lesson that it mustn't. Um, but I also think that we are, we are in an existential battle. That existential battle looks nothing like the battles of the past. Many of the tools are 
strangely reminiscent of the tools of the past, right? The the degree to which Orwell is on target is almost ridiculous. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Right? You know, ministries of truth and, you know, malinformation. These couldn't be more Orwellian if they tried. But nonetheless, I don't think it's going to look like those past tragedies. But um, it also... Well, let's take just take one example, just to put some flesh on the bones. There is a battle to prevent change, right? Those who have a disproportionate amount, some of which will have been earned through innovation, most of which will have been earned through rent seeking or worse. Those people always have an interest in thwarting change that they do not control, right? Because change can only reduce their position and their power. So they oppose change, right? What does one need to do to successfully oppose change? Well, in the past, you might need to go after huge numbers of people, right? The Stasi had to keep track of an incredibly large number of people. And so it needed basically to, you know, to conscript your neighbors into spying on you. This thing has tools that the Stasi didn't have, right? So, for example, the ability to gather everything that we exchange electronically and bank it in Utah, right? What that allows them to do is it allows them not to pay attention to what you're saying. And then at the point that you become annoying, they can say, well, let's look at everything you said in the last 10 years. What's the, what's the most troubling thing the person has said? I call this retroactive surveillance, right? And so what it means is that the thing can leave most people alone and it only has to exert pressure on the tiny number of people who are the sort of people who do create change, right? That's enough. It can be surgical. And so... I don't want to go up against an enemy that can be so surgical that most people can be smug about pretending it doesn't exist because it's not going to come after them, right? That's a very dangerous world. And, and we're, we're there already. Um, so I, I sincerely hope that your optimism is well-placed and I hope you can ridicule me later for <laughs> having uh, seen things. Oh, no, darkly. I'm not unconcerned about those possibilities. But what I also see is, look, uh, all of us who've spoken out against the dogma of the day on one issue or another, and we may disagree about certain dogmas or whatever, but we've all been quote unquote punished. Mm -hmm. You and Heather's experience, for example, way worse than mine, deeply unpleasant. I'm sure, you know, cathartic in some ways, but traumatic in others. You're talking about Evergreen? Or yeah, I'm talking about Evergreen. Yeah, I'm talking about Evergreen initially, right? So, but they fucking walked away with 500 grand each. And then they got this lovely grift where they are talk show hosts who pretend to be biologists. You know, I refuse to sign a contract to not make offensive jokes at a comedy show. I get kicked out of the comedy industry, blah, 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 blah. No, you were. I don't think you were. I don't think Constantine was ever in the comedy industry. He keeps saying this, but I looked. I tried to find evidence of him doing like a feature or a headline at any like show of note in London. I couldn't find it. Again, unpleasant, not really kicked out, sort of just sort of like. Eh. Maybe you weren't funny. Very different. Very, very different to what happened to my grandparents. Mm -hmm. Even more different to what happened to their grandparents. In positive ways, right? Not burned at the stake, not put in a gulag, not executed, right? The, the, look, I, I live this all the time. People come up to me specifically about the evergreen stuff, yeah. right? And they say the darndest things to me about my courage and you're a hero and this and that. And my oh, that's because they're weirdos, Brett. Like you and I think you and your wife each walked off with half a million dollars. And then now 
now you're making i don't even, i can't even i can't even think of how much money you're making because you have your own patreon and then heather has her own patreon is you know i'm proud of myself but do you realize how safe that was compared to what people have faced i think we've become soft we've become really soft and no losing your job sucks actually but like in his case it was uh, of his own doing look i i don't really see it go in the direction of gas chambers but um but isn't being ratioed on twitter basically the same thing brett i'm con you, you see it going in the direction of digital gas chambers i get it Wait, what is, no, wait, what is a digital gas chamber? And would I get kicked off of Twitch if that was the name of the channel? I just fucking have some questions here. Worse than that, actually. Digital prisons, whatever you want to call it, right. No, even worse than that. What I see coming is extinction. Right? Extinction. Extinction. Yeah. Extinction? And my feeling is it is our obligation to head that off. And the well, we're trying to do that by fucking Brett. With which to head it off are not at our disposal. So when you say extinction, what's the path that takes us to extinction? It means uh, it means people don't pay attention to Brett and Heather anymore. That's like extinction. There are a lot of them that could. But my basic point would be what we have is the generating function. We have tools that are scaling up our disasters. Our disasters are getting worse and worse. And we haven't had an existential one yet. But we have several things on the map that could be that large. And they're being managed by fools, people who really don't understand what they're doing, don't understand the first thing about complex systems, right? The hubris of these. Like they always say this, him and his brother both always say, oh, our, um, our leadership is bad. Our leadership is bad. Our leadership is bad. These tools that could cause the end of the world are being managed by fools. But it's like, well, what, what does he suppose we, what can, besides putting Brett and Eric in charge of everything, what do they think we can do about these things? People who are managing these systems is so great that the systems will take us out when they mismanage them. And so somehow, and I know I'm going to take a lot of crap for using this phrase because it's the kind, it's like, it's like invoking Nazis, right? As soon as you do, you've lost the argument. It is a rush the cockpit moment. That's where we are. And I don't know how to. But they tried that on January 6th. Because frankly, this is pretty comfortable. I had a lovely breakfast this morning. It all feels pretty okay. You're right. Comedy's coming back. We're getting our tools back. They're having a harder time throwing us off social media. All that's to the good. It's not nearly sufficient to protect us from what's coming. I, I, um, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me give you an example. Um, like, this is amazing because Constantine, I don't like Constantine. But there's a way, I think, I think Constantine isn't buying Brett's bullshit, which is really weird. He's not going to say it, right? We're not going to get a moment where Constantine's like, this is crazy stuff, right? He's not going to say, this is wild what you're saying here. Why are you being such an alarmist? Why are you, we're not going to get, you're a drama queen, right? We're just never going to get that because Constantine needs access to a guy like Brett. But like. I've never seen this guy's body language be this way with a guest. He's Constantine seems uncomfortable and like he kind of doesn't like where this is going. Or he doesn't, he seems like he doesn't like this conversation in a way. There is a problem where the sun periodically throws off these bursts of energy, 
right? <laughs> solar flare. It's like a solar flare is coming. What do we do? What has Joe Biden done to stop the solar flare? These things are thrown off effectively in random directions. Gigantic storms get thrown off fairly regularly, and mostly they don't come anywhere near us. And every so often one does come near us, and sometimes they hit us, right? We are running an incredibly large risk that one of these is going to take out a major section of the power grid across an entire continent. It is not implausible that we would lose a third of the North American power grid. And when it goes down, it's not like it comes back on a few days later. The transformers that hold this system together, that run it, um, it would take more than a year. If you ordered one today, it would take more than a year for it to be delivered. And that's in a system that is not pressured by the need to replace many of them simultaneously. Right now, if you imagine a third of North America going dark already, you've got a question is our are the Canadian and American governments sufficiently competent at this moment? Brett, there's another country in North America, Brett. Order under such a circumstance. Well, I sure don't know that they are. Second thing, we have numerous nuclear reactors in these zones. Every single one of them requires a constant input of electrical energy or the water that is used to keep all the spent fuel that has gone through these reactors from catching fire will boil away, right? So they all have, uh, I think it's two weeks supply of diesel fuel on site in order to keep them cool. Probably, I, I think I know that most of them have at least a month, which is more than they are legally required to have, which is great. But we're talking about doing this over the course of a year. Anyone. Right. But during that month, the people, <clears throat> there are probably contingency plans, right? That Brett's not privy to. Now, how dare they not submit their contingency plan to Brett for if they uh, lose power for an extended period of time? But I'd be, I'd, the people working at these facilities are generally fairly serious people who generally take their jobs pretty, pretty seriously and understand like the risks and the, the stakes, right? These aren't, these aren't just, it's not Homer Simpson working at the nuclear power plant. So I just think there are, there must be contingency plans for these things. <laughs> Which the vigilance to keep the diesel fuel flowing to those reactors, any place where that fails, turns that reactor into a nuclear volcano. Well, no, you can shut them down. Right? You can't shut them down. What do you, you mean? You can't shut them down. See, like, look, I've, I've never, like, I've never seen this Constantine guy like he's I don't know he's having a bad day or something and I don't know I don't know what's going on here because I've never seen Constantine just directly contradict his guest before. And this is one of these things where I didn't know this until Fukushima happened at which point I learned a lot. But there it. were other Brett there were there were other factors like Fukushima that Fukushima wasn't the result of a fucking power outage. Brett Brett. A giant wave hit Fukushima. <laughs> it's like the people who say that, oh, well, how would a, how come a, how come the, the Twin Towers fell because of an office fire and they forget about the fucking plane hitting the building? Fission power. The fact is, when you run this material through the reactor, it's actually fairly safe before it's gone through the reactor. It becomes much more dangerous in the reactor. But he's, so he's, he's essentially making the claim that within 30 days, there is no safe way to completely turn off one of these reactors. And 
I don't think that's the case. I don't think it would be perfect, but it's not going to melt down if you like. Right. And then there's a period of something like five years where the only way to keep it from catching fire is to keep it underwater and to keep the water circulating. It needs constant influx of cold water in order to keep it cool. Right. Now, the reason that that stuff is still in these reactors or on these reactor sites is that we never made good on our promise to find something to do with it. Right. When these reactors were first built, we were told, look, we'll figure out where to where But this to is the way he now he's talking about the the waste doesn't just stay inside the reactor. It's not just sitting in the reactor waiting to blow up. I don't know that much about this, but I know that they're like, well, I know that they're not. They didn't say, oh, we have no idea what to do with the waste. Nah, just leave it in the reactor. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out of here. Be in Yucca Mountain. We'll find something really stable, a good place it'll go. That never happened. So the stuff is all stored on site, which is really the worst place it could be because if the reactor goes bad, it gets in the way of your ability to manage the spent fuel that came through it. So for five years after coming out of these reactors, the stuff has to be actively cooled. It contains literally the worst stuff on Earth, right? Including plutonium with a 200,000 year half-life, right? really dangerous stuff. And it will all be liberated into the atmosphere if it catches fire. And it will make it impossible to manage the rest of the stuff that's there, right? All the stuff that's been there longer than five years could be taken out of these reactors and it could be put in what's called dry cask storage. Dry cask storage isn't great, still highly radioactive. Stuff in there has a really long half-life, but it at least doesn't require vigilance, right? It just sits there inert. And as long as nobody breaks open the container, it's okay. But we're not doing that. Why not? Because it costs money. So what I'm telling you is that accidentally, we built a doomsday device and we distributed it across North America. Oh, is he against nuclear power? Right? It's just sitting there, right? And it's sitting there waiting for a failure that could be flung out of the sun at any minute. And at the point it gets flung out of the sun, we can calculate roughly the likelihood that the storm will hit us. We can calculate based on how big the storm is, what the potential is for it to do damage to our grids. But there's nothing we can do about it. So here's the. So there's also something really important here. This assumes that the solar flare is like a direct hit and that it hits like a landmass. And I know that it's, it's, it's a little more complicated than that, but the planet's mostly, mostly water. So the, if there's a solar flare, the likelihood is that it hits the ocean or that it mostly hits the ocean and that this catastrophe where basically the dead center of the country, like ground zero or whatever is Kansas, like Kansas is ground zero, like the dead center of the country and it knocks out everything from you know, I don't know, halfway up Canada to halfway down Mexico. That's like a very, very unlikely scenario. The weird punchline in that story. The remedy for this isn't expensive, right? We're talking something to, to solve this problem in North America. We're talking about a sum of money that has been estimated as something like equivalent to a B-2 bomber, right? Stealth bomber. A B-2. Okay. That's not a lot of money. You could tax the rich, you could tax the middle class, and you could come up with that kind of money and nobody would notice it. It's, it's tiny, right? And yet we don't do it because, because the people who are managing our system are, are insane. 
They've left this vulnerability there for no reason. It doesn't serve anybody's interests. It's just easy to ignore it because it's kind of abstract and technical and nobody notices it because it's not a political winner, right? So in that world, right, that's when we, that's one that we can say, hey, we know enough about this one to describe it. But then there's a whole series of other things where something has been done that we only discover after the disaster that some process was underway that we needed to know about ahead of time, right? Gain of function research. How much did you know about that before COVID? Well, but the problem with the the gain of function research is that during COVID and after COVID, a bunch of people who don't know shit about it are the ones telling everybody all this stuff about it. Everybody's afraid of it. Like it's some boogeyman. I haven't bothered to look into what it is, why we do it, how it works. I've just seen a bunch of stuff, Substack weirdos talking about how, oh, the gain of function research is the fucking reason this shit came from a lab. I don't think Brett could give you a, like a, you know, like a the back of a napkin description of what gain of function research is. I wasn't paying Nothing. attention. No. Right. So, okay. They're doing gain of function research. Well, how much more of that are they doing and on what? And, you know, how good is their security and how much of it's in Ukraine and what happens? How much of it is in Ukraine? Right. Well, none right now. I think the people that were doing like any kind of research in Ukraine might tend to be busy right now, Brett. You got that. You've got the Aliso Canyon disaster in which we are pumping uh, natural gas into old uh, oil deposits and storing it there and it can spring a leak. We've got the Deepwater Horizon accident. We've got the financial collapse of 2008, right? With the credit. He's just naming things, just things that are scary or bad things that happened. He's like, look, there's things they happen. The Deepwater Horizon was an unmitigated disaster because it dumped fucking oil everywhere. But the financial, the, the financial crises or whatever, those are of our own doing. And like we can make a world where there are no financial crises, crises like that by doing the economy in a completely different way. But we're not going to do that. But also these aren't like these things are on a different scale than his like day after tomorrow fucking thing that he was talking about alt swaps. I mean, the point is people are inventing dangerous technologies all around us. And you know what? We've gotten through all of them so far. But at some point, something that is of the appropriate scale. To I mean, by, the, by his logic, we should have never figured out how to harness fire, right? Think about all these things that he's talking about that, that have like caused damage. And then think about the wildfires that we've seen on the West Coast of the United States and Australia over the last five years. And start thinking about like what has done caused more human suffering. You know, start like ask yourself the, you know, at, at what point does his argument just basically say, man, no invent fire. Out is going to get unleashed. And my point is, I want to know the name of every technology that has that capacity now. And then I want really smart people who aren't corrupt to discuss how you properly manage it. But then who decides who's the smart person who isn't corrupt? And how do we know that the people deciding that aren't corrupt? Like, this is the problem with all this stuff is we, we don't. This is the problem with like this sort of idea that, oh, the smart people should be in charge. We should have just the best and the brightest doing everything. Well, that's great. But then like somebody has to decide who's the best, who's the brightest, who's the smartest, who's the least corrupt. And then now it's another layer of people making that decision that now those people better be the best, the brightest, and un not very corrupt. And the problem is, is that people are not the best and the brightest. None of us are. Maybe some of us are. Most of us are not. And all of us are corruptible in some way. So, like, like I don't, like, 
I don't know what he's talking about or like what the end game is here. <clears throat> he would have to impose like some kind of authoritarian global society with him and his brother or something at the top to get what he wants. And I know that none of that's happening. Mm. Well, congratulations. I'm slightly less optimistic than I was before we started this conversation. Well done, Brett. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's you're you're we're having a conversation completely outside of my area of expertise. So uh, I don't really have. Oh, it's also to... all of it is outside of Brett's area of expertise too, Constantine. But again, Constantine will never say we're having a conversation outside of both of our areas of expertise because he wants access to Brett. Wants to make sure Brett will come on his show again. Maybe having a kid is turning this guy into a cynic. Maybe five years out, Constantine will be cool. Who knows? To, to come back to you with. Well, look, it's outside of all of our areas of expertise. I'm not a nuclear engineer, yeah. right? I'm well, that's, but you just gave a fucking speech. You just speechified about it and like several other topics for several minutes. I'm not a, I don't even know what I would need to be a, a astrophysicist to know about solar storms at the proper level. I do know enough to like know the problem. Not you wouldn't have to be the astrophysicist. You would have to trust the astrophysicist or the consensus among astrophysicists, right? I don't have to be an astrophysicist to go try. Okay, well, what do what do the people who are studying this think the odds are if in my lifetime a uh, solar flare of a sufficient size would hit to do serious damage to infrastructure? What are the odds that that will hit the planet during my lifetime? And then you just have to trust them. Because they're doing the work they've been, you know, they've been studying the cosmos or there are people probably specifically who study the fucking sun. In fact, there are probably people who did their like PhD work specifically on a specific type of solar flare that I don't know even the name of. And so then that we have to trust them. But Brett and his brother, they don't trust academia because academia has rejected both of them. So their personal gripe with academia means that they're not going to trust the experts. So they're going to just say, oh, well, there's actually no way to know if this is likely to happen. And there is a way to know if it's likely to happen. It's just you got to trust somebody. But the problem is those, those are the same people who didn't give Brett or his brother a Nobel Prize. And so they don't like those people. With this gain of function stuff. But, but really, none of that is the point, right? You do know enough to say, well, hey, that credit default swap thing sounds like it was a bad idea before it went bad. And then we found out about it. But there were people in the industry sounding the alarm about credit default swaps and nobody listened to them because make hay while the sun shines, baby. That's what people were doing. Point it had gone bad and it didn't take out the world economy, but it was of a scale that tells us that's possible, right? So, so something out there We've got a sorcerer's apprentice problem, right? There's something out there with the power to unleash things that it cannot keep under control. And we don't have the wisdom to address it. And so anyway, I, I do feel... See, it's interesting you make that point because credit default swaps is something I understand a little bit. And actually, what's interesting about the 20... We did a lot of credit default swaps in my pretend comedy career. 2008 financial crisis is, it is the direct consequence of... Uh, the Clinton administration abandoning rules that were set in place after the Great Depression Glass to prevent the Glass Eagle to prevent that from happening again. So it's not so much that we don't have the competence; it's, it's more that we are 
uh, greedy enough that we think, well, look, if we just, if we take the brakes off the car, we can go faster. Right. And that's how we, so I understand your concern, uh, but also I suppose I'm kind of philosophical about extinction. I, I fear death only as a personal thing. I fear dying. If it also, if it means that my wife and child and, and people I love are going to be without me and they need me. I actually, I'm not that concerned about dying if we all die together. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've noticed that in myself too. Um, I don't know what it's about. It's a little odd. Yeah. Um, it's a little odd. Well, it's because the, no, I mean, it's, it's because the, the scenarios in which we all die together are few and, and highly unlikely. Climate change. We're not all just going to wake up one day and cook, right? Climate change is going to be personal misery for people. People will die in personal misery, and you might be one of those people. It's not like the giant asteroid hitting the planet. I'll take the giant asteroid hitting the planet if I know for sure that in, over the next 20 years, we're all going to go because of climate change. Because the amount of suffering, not just of human beings, but of every creature on this planet, if climate change takes us out over the next 20 years, it's going to be horrific. Whereas if the asteroid hits the planet, hey, man, we can just throw a big party. We know it's coming, right? <laughs> like, that's why. Fear death. I fear leaving people behind who might like me or love me or need me. Yes. But, uh, I, you know, I've lived a great life already. I have, I have exactly the same sense. You know, you know it, I'm, I'm very ended. comfortable with who, I, you know, who, if I died 10 years ago, I'd, I'd be concerned that I hadn't become the human being that I could die and know that I'm proud of that person. But maybe in 10 years, Constantine, you'll look back on all this and be like, well, boy, am I glad I cleaned up the mess I made associating with these fucking grifters. And you'll be glad that you had those 10 years to like change your behavior or whatever. So like, you don't know what the next 10 years are going to bring And 10 years ago. You had no idea what the next 10 years were going to bring. I'm more comfortable in that. I'm, I'm like, you know, this is a person who's, who's stuck by his principles. He's done some things that he thought were important. Um, he's created something, who's employed people, who's made other people's lives better, who's helped his friends, who's, you know, all of that. And so I hear you, the accelerating pace of technological change means that we are, we are left in the hands of people that we wouldn't otherwise choose to trust and the catastrophe that could come from that failure is but that's just what happens when you rely on expertise as we get into a more techno technological society and rely more on expertise we have to do that this is same as it ever was extinction level sure okay i'm okay with it brett <laughs> well all right well i hate to be this guy because i, I want to make you less okay with it some of us are going to survive is the way you're going to say no First of all, I'm not entirely convinced that that's right, but it could be. Yeah. But I guess the point is I, I detest the idea that some will survive and we will leave them a greatly diminished planet that will not recover, mm. right? They might live on it, maybe. Oh, I don't know. If we go away, the planet will probably do just fine. We just won't be here to fucking enjoy it. Well, to continue on and the human species will do whatever's next, but it will be on a planet that we wrecked. And I, I can't be okay with that. Now, look... So there's a practical issue to all of this, Brett, which is I, uh, this: everything you're saying may be completely true, um, and I, I'm sure there are big elements of it that are. But at the end of the day, I've always made my life about solving the problems that I think I have a role in and that I can solve, and this ain't one of them. Well, no, I disagree with you completely. Um, 
Uh, I'll try it with two points. Okay. One, I, I agree with where you are, right? I've had a great life. I feel like as you, I'm in the black. I have contributed more than I have absorbed. Right? Oh, that's so not true. I'm not looking to die. I will avoid it as long as possible. I really don't want to strand my family. But, you know, if I went to the doctor tomorrow and I got a, a terminal diagnosis, I would think, well, it sucks that it wasn't longer, but I can't complain, mm -hmm. right? Um, on the other hand, we are temporary custodians of something, something that has been in motion for three and a half billion years. I don't really care about it very much. You know, I think the planet is full of cool creatures and the creatures that we were before we were human are cool. And I like all that. But the ability to be a human being, right, the ability to have the capacity to even catch a glimpse of where we are and how unlikely that is and what it implies about the universe and to have some idea of how big the universe is and to look at really marvelous things and be provoked and to feel love and all of these great things, right? That experience is, um, there is, it, it is the greatest experience that could be as far as I know. And I believe that we have an obligation to deliver it to as many people as can possibly experience it. Now, Asterisk, I know that in the end, none of us get out of here alive. Our species will go extinct, right? The sun is going to swallow the earth. I believe before that, our galaxy will collide with Andromeda, which ain't going to be pretty, right? Even if we were to escape these galaxies, ultimately, you know, the universe either goes cold or, you know, hot or whatever the end might be. But the point is, but we're not going to be here for any of that. Even whatever we might accomplish as a species and whatever we might escape, it'll get us in the end. That said, that right there could be an argument for not taking my next breath, but I'm not listening, right? I'm taking my next breath. He's I'm like, there's Patreon money to get. There's grifting to do. As I can, and I'm going to do everything in my power to deliver this opportunity to people in the future because that's what I'm supposed to be doing, right? That's what we are. And we don't quite get it because evolution built us to perceive and to contemplate only those things in which there would be value in us perceiving and contemplating. No, the, no, that's uh, no, 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 no. That, that's not true. Otherwise, we wouldn't daydream. What the fuck is he talking about? That's fucking that's bullshit. Like. If he says evolution created us to, or, you know, programmed us or whatever the fuck he says to do X, Y, or Z, the next thing that's about to come out of his mouth is going to be some fucking bullshit most of the time. We don't know why we evolved the way that we did necessarily. But for us to only contemplate things that, as he would say, like matter or whatever, then that's absurd. That's like not how we work. How many times... Are you like sitting there or like, I don't know, maybe you're on the train or the bus or you're driving your car even. And you're thinking about something and then you think to yourself, why the fuck am I thinking about this? I know I do it. I think about things that are completely trivial all the time. And you do too. And Brett does too. And it's part of the human condition. And so, no, we have not evolved to only think about the things that matter or that are going to advance the species or whatever he's trying to say here. That's clearly not how our brains work. They didn't, they didn't have any power over the future. We have ultimate power over the future. So we have to correct our 
thinking and we have to start seeing our distant descendants as important, which isn't easy because they are completely anonymous and mysterious to us. But well, they're not born yet. I have an obligation they're not mysterious. If blink out tomorrow. I'm not going to feel shortchanged, but I'm going to feel a deep sense of shame that we failed them. Mm. I hear you. I, what I'm saying, though, is that uh, it's not so much that I am unaware of the existence of our future descendants. It's more that I can only solve the problems that I am able to solve. Ah. Right. Uh, based on my skills and and and. The, the limited talents. He's like, I Brett, I complain about cancel culture and have a bunch of frauds like you on my show. I'm not trying to save the world. Like, this is such a weird thing because I really don't like Constantine and his co-host. But in this discussion, this because Brett is so delusional, this guy who's just trying to make a buck off the IDW, let's not let's not get it twisted. This guy who's just trying to make a buck off the IDW seems like way more grounded in reality have right and the influence that i can exert in the world and by the way my biggest concern is that always all of us you and me included are acting in ways whose consequences we can't predict and so we can strive to address a particular problem what what is the other problem that look covid is a very good example of this right a real disease comes along uh and whichever way it came along and it needs addressing and so we as a society go, well, we've got to address this problem and we start doing things, some of which personally I agree with, some of which personally I disagree with. But you, it, it doesn't, I don't give a fuck if you agree with it. You're, uh, you claim that you used to be a comedian and now you're a talk show host who just has a bunch of frauds on your show. It's, you're free to disagree or, or, or agree with public policy, but it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if I agree with public policy or if you agree with public policy. What we hope is that the people doing public policy are using the information they have in front of them and making the best decisions they can, right? It doesn't matter if I agree with it. I'm not a public health policy expert. I'm not, I'm not a virologist. And I think in many cases, the solution may have been worse than the problem that we were trying to solve on some issues, right? Um, so in that desire to make the world a better place. I'm wary of people who, who, who are um, so confident in their own ability to solve these problems consequence-free uh, that they sort of push us down that line. I, I'm, uh, I'm, and I'm wary of my own uh, kind of inability to, to, to play a positive role in solving this. So there's certain things that I can do and I'm doing them. Beyond that, I, I'm not able to solve the problems you're describing uh, in any meaningful way. Well, I mean, I agree with your formulation. The problem is people whose hubris causes them to think they can solve problems and to uh, be unimaginative about the unintended consequences. Mm. I'm totally on board. Oh, Brett, are you totally on board with that? Because you just described you and your brother with that. I mean, this is this is the flaw of progressivism, right? We what? don't spot the unintended consequences. You, you, you do the thing that you think needs to be done and then do make things worse. But what I'm talking about is actually. So there's a difference. Like if you do something like he says, oh, that's a problem with progressivism. You know, you make changes and it makes things worse. Does it always make things worse? Or when you make changes in policy, have you just created new challenges? Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's like. What's the difference between we've made this worse and we've created a new challenge because of the, the policy decision that we've made? 
I don't know what the difference that is there. I think it's probably framing outside of some pretty wild shit that people have done over the course of history where maybe they thought they were going to make the world a better place by like, I don't know, using mercury as a treatment for some disease or some shit. Okay. Well, you've made everything worse, but like outside of like these wild, crazy things that have happened in our history, a lot of times when changes are made things, sometimes it, it disrupts the system a little bit. Sure. But those are just new challenges, new things for new people to solve and new new things to address. And maybe those challenges are actually good because then we address some underlying issue or some some unintended consequence of a good policy. So if you have a good policy and there's a negative unintended consequence and then you solve the negative unintended consequence, you've just made the good policy probably better. shutting down a kind of cryptic progressivism, right? Gain of function research. Do you know why we're doing all this gain of function research? Well, allegedly to stop the next pandemic. I, I right. Saw. But here's the thing. We've got an academic system in which you rise based on your ability to tell a really compelling narrative about why your work is so damn vital. Right. God, it sounds like Brett's talking about himself. Like in his ecosystem, he's risen because him and his brother have been able to tell a compelling narrative to largely, let's just face it, a scientifically illiterate audience who believe their audience, their audience has to believe that they're smart because they watch Brett and Eric. And so him and Eric, their whole thing is their narrative about themselves. This is amazing. I can't believe this. Brett is describing himself and his brother right that right here he's doing like he he is either completely unaware like completely has no self-awareness or he just knows that it doesn't matter anymore because his audience has become what amounts to an online cult these people told us a really good story about how human beings are in more contact with nature because as we expand, we're pushing it back. Well, that's actually bullshit. We are expanding and pushing it back, but we're in less contact with nature. Never mind. But nobody says that. Who is saying that urban sprawl, like he basically described urban sprawl, right? We're pushing nature back. Who has said, who the fuck out there is saying that, oh, you know what? We're actually urban sprawl is good because you get to touch more grass. The fuck? They also told us that there were all of these viruses in nature that were ready to leap out and get us. Well, it's true that they're there, but they didn't really get the evolutionary part right. They didn't explain to us how difficult it was for a virus to make that jump. And they didn't explain to us that the thing that they were going to have. But you're, that's not evolutionary biology, Brett. Was solve that problem for the viruses. That they were going to take the viruses into the lab and solve a very difficult evolutionary problem in order to study what would happen if some virus solved a very difficult evolutionary problem. That was insane, right? Is it? They created this. This is an entirely man-made disaster. It was born of this kind of runaway progressivism, exactly of the this is, you're talking about. Now it's all like the, the fucking everything's just the left. Oh, the gain of function research is because of progressivism. What do you mean because of progressivism? Does he just mean when he says progressivism here, does he just mean like the idea that we should make scientific progress? Because that's not really progressivism. Progressivism is like a political, like sort of a political ideology and like eh, to some extent, like a personal disposition on how, how you see the world and what, what kind of things you'd like to see happen in the world. It isn't 
progressivism isn't let's make scientific progress. Hey, we'll solve the problem of the next pandemic. Yes, but the chances that you will cause the next pandemic are a thousand times greater than like, how did you make that calculation ahead of the next pandemic? I mean, look, they studied this exact clade of viruses. Did they do us any good at all in controlling it? Do we, I don't know. Do we know? You know, he's talking about this as if like, as if there's no chance that any of this gain of function research that he's talking about could have been beneficial in the production of, for example, a vaccine. I don't know. And he doesn't know either, right? There's no way he knows whether or not gain of function research sort of, um, things that we learned via this research that he's kind of boogeymanning here. If some things that we learned through that helped us develop the vaccine for COVID, I don't know. You don't know either. He just decided it's bad. As I can tell, even if their story, which I consider to be obvious bullshit at this point, even if their story that this came either from nature or the wet market was true, they didn't know enough to do anything useful to control the pandemic, right? They've, they've Wait a minute, who's they? Ah, oh, this this fucking this fucking this this very like vague and vast they. What were they supposed to do, Brett? Like what were they supposed were they supposed to just fix it the day we discovered the fucking COVID-19? What were they supposed to do? Shown us how much bullshit was in their grant proposals. And so what I'm saying is, look, we do know enough to control these things because the primary thing we have to do to control them is stop making these stupid errors. We have to shut down that naive desire to do new cool things. And this is where your progressive nature comes out of you, Brett, because you think that's possible. I do. It's not. Well, then we're done. We are done. This is why I'm philosophical. Wait, why is it progressive for him to think that? Why is it a progressive point of view to think that we're going to stop trying to do new cool things? They're just defining progressivism. They're like, you know, whatever. It's just kind of whatever. It's whatever we don't like. It's, you know, we're going to, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll call Brett a progressive. Fuck it. Like, Fred, um, a conflict. I mean, words are made up, but like, we kind of have to agree on what the fuck they mean if we're going to have any kind of reasonable conversation about the world around us. I have it. It's very good. He talks about, he basically says that there are two visions of the world, one of which he describes as the constrained vision and the other is the unconstrained vision. And, and the constrained vision is, which says human beings are fallible. They're flawed. They're not perfect. Uh, war is inevitable. Disease is inevitable. Stupidity is inevitable. All these things will happen. And we've got to prepare for that and mitigate those things as best we can. The unconstrained vision is progressivism, which says human beings are ultimately perfectible. We can be made to, to not have these flaws. We can be made not to have these errors. You know, that's eugenics, not progressivism. Holy shit, dude. Oh my God. Well, from fucking with the world, man, it's not going to happen. That's not what I'm saying. You're not, and you're never going to get them away from the levers of power. You're never going to get them to not invent powerful things that could destroy us. That's what we do. Well, here's the thing. First of all, until I know, you know, I, even if I believed 98% that what you just said was true, mm. as long as there's a 2% that we might be able to rein in this instinct, mm. I am morally obligated to pursue it. But we can't. But 
you the fucking I agree again with Constantine here. You're never gonna rein in the human desire for more knowledge. I think what's important is like who's in charge and what are we doing with the knowledge that we've gained and can we use it for good as much as possible and try to stop people from using these things for like evil purposes. And that's called, get this politics. That's why we have political systems. That's why we have governments ostensibly. No, you're saying that with a level of certainty that isn't justified. Why not? Has there ever been a period in human history where we haven't done this? Let, let me explain something. Human, human culture and human societies as a special version of human culture is an evolved property. Mm -hmm. Okay, It is organism-like, not in every way, but in some ways. Mm -hmm. If you understand how a hummingbird works, right? a hummingbird is utterly imperfect in every regard. There's not a single system in the thing that's perfect, right? But it functions as if perfect, okay? It functions beyond what one can conceive of. The, the level of functionality is beyond plausible, right? Now, how does it work? Well, mostly we don't know, but everything we do know about it involves- Wait a minute, aren't you a biologist? Aren't you somebody who thinks that we can know how a hummingbird works? feedbacks feedbacks that detect when some parameter is moving in a direction that's going to make the thing fall out of the sky and it moves it back every single thing is modulated right now that's not an easy trick to accomplish we don't have it built into civilization yet and it hasn't needed to be there because the tech but to build in this thing you're describing into our civilization would require untold state power technologies we were playing with you might take out your population but you weren't going to take out the species right now we're all so interlinked there are so many of us we are burning the resources of the planet at such a rate that actually there's a clock ticking and my point is it is not inconceivable that you could build and you know i've been pretty specific about this i'm not saying we know how to build that system. We definitely do not know how to build that system. But Brett probably thinks he does. But what we do know is enough to prototype it, right? To say, what does that mean? Here's what the system must not do. And here's what it must accomplish. And here are the parameters that ought to be, that ought to be the bounds of these things. And we know how to, we know how to prototype it. And you know what? Except that we don't all agree on what he's saying, right? He and I probably have completely different ideas on what the boundaries, the boundaries of civilization should be, whatever the fuck that means. I'm not even sure like how to address or how to like, how to like come at what he's describing as the problem or the thing we need to solve here. Like, I don't understand almost, I almost don't understand the question. Your first prototype is pretty damn crude. But if it proves you can do it, then you know what to do next. Your, the purpose of a prototype is to teach you what you don't know. And so my point is not, hey, we got to regulate this thing. Let's do it. I don't know how to do it. Nobody else does either, I assure you. But what we need to do is get some uncorrupted people. Uncorrupted. But this people. is why you lose me. What? 
this is where he loses me too. It's this great man theory, right? Let's always, this is, it's a very American thing too. And it might be because Constantine isn't an American, right? Is that it built into American society more so than a lot of other places is this theory of like the great man. We, and it's, it's always a man. Let's not get it twisted. Right. We believe this about the founding fathers. We very, very much believe this about the founding fathers, even though they, a lot of them weren't exactly all that great. A lot of them were drunks. A lot of them were, a lot of more sexual assaulters. They owned fucking slaves and shit, but it's this great man theory. Brett just thinks, oh, we just need the right, you know, seven men in charge or what the fuck ever. Like the Supreme Court is a lot of, in a lot of ways based on this theory of the great man. It's a very American thing. And I think that's way maybe why Constantine isn't isn't going to buy this either. It's you know in Great Britain they have a parliamentary system and their courts are structured differently and they have a prime minister, but it's not really the prime minister isn't based on like the great man theory the way that like a like a powerful executive in the United States is based on, on like great man theory. On corrupted people, right? Corruption is is a function of existence. And it, and of hierarchy and of structure. And of, right. You, you're not, my point is, you're not going to get a system where people have power, where some people aren't corrupt. It's impossible. I'm not saying, no, people will be corrupt. What we need is a system that your corruption costs you more than it benefits you, that it moves you away from power rather than towards it. We have the exact opposite. But, but that is in direct contradiction to the interest of corrupt people who always will have the power in the system that of the kind that we have. I think you're like, imagine having this fucking failed comedian who does a show called trigonometry explain the basics of humans and how we deal with power to you when you're supposed to be some kind of genius. Think about that for a minute. It's not like Constantine's some kind of fucking brilliant person. We've been bagging on Constantine since I started this show, but Constantine is explaining like just the most basic fucking, the most basic ideas that we have about humans and power and how humans behave when we have power, especially when we start having groups of people who have power. This is like, this is like shit you learn in like sixth grade. No, no, I think I'm making my point. Well, which, but then maybe which is you're never going to get away from that. Well, you say never going to get away from that, but I think that assumes this system, right? Look, uh, like I, I said, this is your progressive coming out. <laughs> no, no, this isn't that Constantine. This has nothing to do with whether or not he's progressive. This is great man theory. And I think that great man theory tends to be a conservative idea. It's an old school idea. It's not a new idea. Okay, fair. That's a that's a fair that's a fair challenge. But understand something. I call myself a reluctant radical. Okay, and what that means is, I believe only radical change will save us, and radical change is inherently so dangerous it should terrify you. So I am not a progressive by virtue of the fact that I'm, I'm enthusiastically teasing you. You know that, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. This is this is why I don't believe this guy was ever a comedian because he's not teasing Brett. He just said something stupid important because I think you do disagree with me. And I think I am trying to make a point that frankly, you know, I don't love saying this because I, I hear a, um, I hear a mechanism at work that actually 
liberates a friend of mine from a kind of obligation that frankly, probably we can't meet and is really unpleasant. So I don't necessarily want to inflict it on you. Mm. But I do think that, you know, in terms of being philosophically consistent, we aren't cooked yet. And you know what? No, we're not. But you haven't mentioned climate change once, and that's the most likely thing to cook us. I don't know. Or flood us out, depending on where we live. Power gain function research, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, I'm not really in a position to do anything anyway, so I'm going to go back to not worrying about it. But the fact is, actually, you are in exactly the business where you probably have as much say as anyone else. I don't think that's true. But here's the thing. You're in the business of persuading people of things that they can't see. No, no, I, I, I see this is, uh, I think, one of the big problems that we're going to, and this is one of the problems we've created by creating the sort of society and culture that we have now is people like me are in a position now where they're supposed to influence things and, you know, have these conversations about important issues like COVID or this or that. I actually think... um I think it was a mistake to get involved in the conversations around these issues as much as I have done. Um, and going forward. Oh my God. Did you hear? He was just like, actually, this is a mistake for me to get involved with this conversation. Holy shit. I'm fucking blown away. To avoid that as much as I can, because I'm not qualified to make these calls or to influence people on these issues. And the longer I go, the more I realize the thing we've just been talking about, which is unintended con consequence of things. Uh, so I was, I think, quite careful to talk about my issues with our response to COVID from a position of saying, look, I don't know what the medical side of this is. I don't know if ivermectin works. I don't know how- But there's a way to know. Whatever the vaccine is. All I know is I'm uncomfortable with forcing people to do things they don't want to do in a free society like the ones that we have. And that is is and remains my position. I think uh, the, my view was always, look, as I understand it, and I don't understand it, but as I understand it, the vaccine is relatively safe and the trade-offs are worth it for people who are in a certain age category, who are in a certain health category, et cetera. Do you mean everyone? The trade-offs are worth it for everyone? I was, not you should, but if I was in your position, I would take it, right? That was always my view. And it remains my view, by the way. It remains my view that Based on what I have seen, masks are ineffective at stopping the transmission of COVID-19, right? Yep. So enforcing a vaccine and mask wearing and all of this stuff on people is wrong. And I disagree with it on a civil society freedom of conscience basis. But for people like me to be involved in the conversations around the medical stuff, I actually think is a mistake and not one I'm going to repeat. Sure. But uh, let me ask you this. Mm. Why do you think the vaccines are, on balance, safe enough and effective enough? Uh, because that's what I've been told. By whom? By the powers that be, whatever. That's nah, probably better than that, right? You wouldn't have listened to the powers that be necessarily, but you might have listened to a, a wide range of Correct. people who were better. And positioned. I've listened to people who are very critical of them and people who are very supportive of them. And I've made up my mind based on what I've seen from right. those different sources. But suppose, suppose somebody could take you to a place where you could just simply stand and look at how that consensus came to be. 
and that the nature but you can't stand in one place and look at how a fucking global consensus comes to be how do you what the fuck he's like but but imagine if you could just see everything at once imagine if you were omniscient consensus was that it was entirely coerced and suppose that you from what you do understand could look and say well had this been allowed to unfold naturally had doctors been allowed to voice their concerns there would be no consensus whatsoever and in fact we would know these things but we don't know them because the people who said them have been booted off of our social networks they've been punished they've been stigmatized their wikipedia pages have been vandalized right suppose you knew that the consensus itself was the product of an intense campaign to create an impression that is false if you could take me to that room and i could observe it with my own eyes sure but that's never going to happen well i don't know that it is or it isn't but but it's not going to happen well because you're not going to go no because there is no such room to which i can be transported that room is in the past if if it even exists Oh, I don't think it is. Um, the fact is, there are places that you could stand. I don't know that it would nail it down 100% for you, but there are places that a guy with your intellect and your skill set would look at. Oh, place. here we go into sense making. And I think maybe this is we're going to watch the rest of this, I think, during the post game. Um, we're at about an hour and a half, so I do have to cut the podcast off. Uh, sorry, pod listeners, but maybe I'll make this one a freebie this week. I'll put up the uh, patron show for free. You want to check it out. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. This is that shit we keep talking about with sense making where it's like, well, actually what you need to do is reject empiricism, reject expert opinion, reject consensus of expert opinion, and you need to figure it out yourself. And that is bonkers. It is a bonkers Thing to believe about your own ability to observe the world around you. I'm not saying that everybody's stupid. That's, and I know a lot of people who might be critical of what I'm saying here would be like, well, what do you think? I can't figure shit out for myself. And my answer would be like, most of the time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here using a bunch of stuff to produce this show. Sure, I'd have a, like a basic level of understanding of how some of it works, but I can't create this laptop. I could buy the parts and put it together, but that's different. I haven't figured anything out there. I'm just following instructions. So it's just really interesting to me that people never sense make about things like my refrigerator is leaking water everywhere, right? <laughs> like, I had to have my refrigerator replaced not long after I moved into this place, actually. And me and my roommate, Rob, at the time, we weren't like, well, let's think about this for a while. Why do you suppose the refrigerator is putting water on the floor? No, we called the property management and they sent out somebody to fix the refrigerator because that person knows how to fix the refrigerator. And it's just really interesting that when you get into stuff like medicine and health, that you have a lot of people telling you, that not like your refrigerator, which is super complicated that you could never figure out yourself. Your body's actually simple and you know about your body and you know about uh, vaccines, you know about um, these treatments. You just need to figure it out. And that's 
fucking crazy. Also, nobody ever sense makes about their own heart attack, right? <laughs> like they get their ass to the goddamn hospital and have somebody hopefully save their life. Nobody sense makes about plumbing. You got some plumbing problems where you live. You just want somebody to come fix it. Somebody who knows what they're doing and is reliable and trustworthy. And so you rely on their expertise. It just, it seems like once things seem like once things, once you can't actually see the thing yourself, everybody, not everybody, a group of people thinks that you can just use your intellect to come to the correct answer. And this is just an outrageous thing to believe. Nobody is that smart. I couldn't sense make about how to build a power strip, right? I couldn't sense make about how to make an aluminum can. These are fairly simple things that industry does for us, right? So why the fuck would I be able to sense make about a virus, a vaccine, and medical treatment? Come on. Everybody, it's okay to trust experts. It's okay to go with the consensus. Sometimes the expert consensus will be wrong, but more often than not, it's not really that it's wrong. It's that new information comes in and the consensus is updated. And that's fine, actually. That's not evidence against expertise. That's not evidence against uh, scientific consensus. So once again, we come back to this idea of essentially sense-making. And it's, it's just such, it's bullshit. And, you know, if you're not going to sense-make about your toilet overflowing, maybe don't sense-make about a vaccine. Yeah, I couldn't make a crazy straw either. That's a good point, chat. I don't know how to manufacture a crazy straw and I could sense make about it till I, till I feel like I've sense maked myself into a migraine headache and I wouldn't be able to make you a crazy straw. Doesn't make me stupid. It just means I don't know how to fucking manufacture a crazy straw and that's fine because I'm an okay talking head, pretty good Linux systems administrator and I'm an expert in uh, Linux audio as Linux ex audio exists now. I'm not going to sense my sense make myself into a new form, a uh, new audio stack for uh, Linux either actually. Other people are building one right now. It's called Pipewire. They're working on it. It seems promising. I'm not going to sense make it. Other people are working together in teams, people who have expertise in um, audio under uh, Linux. They're doing things, and I'm just going to use it. I'm not going to sense make it. Anyway, we're going to watch the rest of this when we get back. This is Boomers by Periscope. I'm going to pour a fucking drink. I deserve it. If you're drinking with me tonight, uh, you deserve it. If you're not drinking with me tonight, that's fucking perfectly fine too. Podcast listeners, this one will go out for, as a freebie, patreon.com slash echoplex. You'll be able to download the member show this week for free.
every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that Now Space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.